pleasure to welcome you this morning as we've gathered together to worship and uh, uh, appreciate Roy coming out last night. Make sure the air, air cool air was on today, so uh, be comfortable to worship. And appreciate the cool air that blew through the cold front that came through last night to give us some cooler, drier air. And uh, that's a reminder that we're we're near the end of August, and so September is going to be a interesting month for us. Um, you know, September always take vacation, and so a couple things to remember for September next Saturday, uh, September 2nd at 10 o'clock, we'll meet here with Brother James from First Baptist for another question and answer time and talk about, uh, uh, again, our potential merger. I'll be meeting tonight, no worship service tonight at First Baptist. I'll be meeting with the members and a question and answer for them. James will be here Saturday at 10. Worship, we have gathered together to worship our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to call us to worship, we're going to look at the announcement to Mary of the coming birth of Jesus, and uh, to, to call us to worship, we're, we'll turn to a prophecy of Isaiah that we looked at just a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night, Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10, the prophet speaking to the king of Judah, King Ahaz, Isaiah 7.10, the prophet says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God, and ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The Lord promised that the virgin would conceive and bear a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so we can gather together and worship because God is with us. He has come to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your grace and your kindness toward us in Jesus, Lord. And we thank you for uh, his birth, his miraculous conception and his miraculous birth and his sinless life. And then his atoning death and glorious resurrection. And Lord, we're thankful that Jesus has accomplished everything that is required for our salvation. From beginning to end, our salvation is a work of your sovereignty and your sovereign grace. And Lord, we give you praise and give you thanks for the plan, the purpose from before the foundation of the earth for you to redeem your sinful people to yourself through the work of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the Son of God, coming to us in a man, the man, Jesus. And Lord, we have gathered together this morning to worship to worship you and to worship the Son and to worship the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us grace as we seek to offer you our praise, our adoration, our devotion, and our submission. Lord, help us to respond to the revelation of your truth like Mary. Behold, your slave. May it be done to us according to your will. And may your spirit help us this day as we seek to worship you in spirit and truth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me encourage you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn 336. As we continue to worship this morning, if you have your Bibles, you have your, of course you have your Bibles. <laughs> take your Bible and turn with me to uh, the Gospel of Luke. Luke's Gospel, the first chapter. And we have, I think, spent four weeks looking at Gabriel's announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. We Looked at it from the perspective of Elizabeth, from Zacharias, and spent two weeks looking at the person and work of John the Baptist. And now we turn our attention to Gabriel's announcement of the birth of Jesus to his mother Mary. And we will approach this passage the same way we approach the uh, announcement of the birth of John. We'll look at Mary today, and then next week, Lord willing, we will look at uh, the information that Gabriel gives Mary about the son that she will conceive and the son that she will bear. And so we'll spend at least two weeks looking at this announcement. Uh, today we will see Mary, the bondservant of the Lord. 
she calls herself Mary, she calls herself the maidservant of the Lord, so good translation is the slave girl. And so today we will focus on the slave girl of the Lord, Mary, the Lord's maidservant, submitting herself to his gracious will for her life. And so let's think of the slave girl of the Lord. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. The word of the Lord says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, was also con has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so thankful for this opportunity that we have to gather together around your word. And Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us, made yourself known to us. Lord, we know apart from your speaking, we could not know you. We could see enough in creation to be condemned, but we could not know enough to be saved apart from you making known to us your plan, your purpose to redeem sinful people to yourself through the work of your Son, Christ Jesus. So Lord, we're so thankful that you have spoken. And Lord, we pray that your Spirit this day would help us to hear your word, to understand your word, or to understand the message of grace, salvation by your sovereign grace through our faith in Christ alone. Lord, we pray that you would help us to believe. And then, Lord, we pray that you would help us to surrender and to commit to your will. May each of us say, behold, your slave. May it be done to me according to your word and your will as we recognize that your will for us is better than our own. So, Lord, help us to experience your grace as we hear your word preached this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we turn our attention now to the announcement of the birth of Jesus to his mother, Mary. And we see a, immediately we see a contrast between these two announcements. We spent four weeks looking at the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, and now we turn our attention to uh, an announcement, the same angel making an announcement of the birth of the Christ, Messiah. And as we think about these two events, we immediately see the differences between these two announcements. The announcement of, birth, of the birth of John, John the, the baptizing one, the one who will come to be known as the Baptist because of the method of his ministry, as he uh, performs a baptism of repentance, we see that the announcement of his birth came in the middle of a very solemn, sacred 
ceremony. It came in the capital city, the city of the political and, and religious activity of the nation, in the, the massive city of Jerusalem. It took place in the city, the capital city of Jerusalem, and it took place in the holy place as John's father, Zacharias, performed his priestly duties, the highlight of his priestly career, as he had finally been chosen by Lot to be the one priest to go into the holy place and to burn incense before the Lord. Right before that, right in front of that veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. A solemn, sacred ceremony as he performed that religious duty, the, the highlight of his career. The angel of the Lord, Gabriel, appeared to him in that holy place. And Zacharias was a man, a priest. Zacharias uh, uh, was old. And he was married, and yet he and his wife, even in their old age, had never had a child. And so we see that announcement. The massive city in the holy place in the middle of a solemn sacred ceremony. And all of the multitude were outside of the temple waiting for Zacharias at the hour of prayer. He'd gone in and they were the, all the people in the city were standing outside in the courtyard waiting for that task to be uh, performed. And then when he came, he was unable to speak. And he tried to communicate uh, the content of the vision through his gestures and through uh, his uh, uh, hand signals since he could not speak, he could not communicate. And so that's how the announcement of the forerunner came. And then when we turn our attention to the announcement of the birth of Jesus, we see that the circumstances could not be more different. The announcement of the birth of John the Baptist took place in Jerusalem, the announcement of the birth of Jesus takes place in a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And that word city is uh, a little bit uh, 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 exalting to Nazareth. It was really just a small town or a village, probably close to just a little over a hundred of population. A very small town, a very small village where everybody knew everybody and everybody knew everybody's business, and everybody would go to the marketplace and talk about everybody. You know about life in a small town. That's what Nazareth was like. It was a very small town, a very small village, and it was very insignificant. In fact, the city of Nazareth is not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. You know, all of the, uh, uh, there, there's all kinds of cities and places and locations mentioned in the Old Testament and uh, the historical events and the conquest and in the prophetic writings, there's all these places, all these places mentioned, but Nazareth is never mentioned, not a single time. And it's out of the way, it's off the beaten path, it's not on a major trade route, it is simply a small town, a small village very insignificant, almost nameless, never heard of, never spoken of. Nobody ever visits there. Uh, the only people who know about Nazareth are the hundred people who live there. A very small, insignificant town. And the announcement of John the Baptist was made to an old married man, Zacharias. The announcement of the birth of Jesus was made to a very young peasant girl named Mary. Unmarried, yet betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph. And when we think of betrothal, we, uh, it's similar to what we think of an engagement, but it was much more sacred and much more binding. In a betrothal, a young lady, probably about a young girl, probably about 12 or 13, would stand before the Lord, the rabbi, the people of her village, and make a vow, make a promise that she would be married to the man that had been chosen for her by her father. She would make this sacred and binding vow. And it would be a year before that vow, those promises were consummated in the institution of marriage. But it was a sacred and binding agreement, a sacred and binding vow, a sacred and binding commitment. And to violate that vow would be considered adultery 
And the betrothal could only be broken by divorce or death. And so it was a binding agreement where she was bound through a sacred vow to be married to a man named Joseph. And uh, Luke doesn't tell us a whole lot about Joseph here, but we recognize, uh, we know from the other parts of Scripture that Joseph was a honorable, uh, had an honorable career, a, a profession. He was a carpenter, but we also know that he was very poor. And we know that he was poor because when he went to the temple to dedicate his firstborn son, or the firstborn son uh, of Mary, they did not offer a lamb. Instead, they offered the offering of a poor person, doves. They could not afford a lamb. And so this young peasant girl pledged to be married to a young man, a carpenter, a man of very limited means. The angel appears to her to announce the coming birth of the Christ, the Messiah. We also see that Zacharias was uh, performing a sacred religious duty. He was going into the holy place with fire taken from the altar and incense made from the special recipe that had been given directly to Moses from God, word for word. He was going into that holy place to perform this sacred duty burning incense before the Lord, symbolizing the prayers of the people going up before the throne of God. And we see here that uh, uh, verse 28, Mary is just apparently going about her day. Mary having come in. She's come into the house from playing or from doing her chores. She comes into the house and the angel of the Lord appears to her. And so we see a radical difference between the announcement of the forerunner and the announcement of the Christ. Different in just about every way we can imagine. Zacharias was a man, Mary's a woman, a girl. Zacharias is old, Mary's young. Zacharias is married. Mary's unmarried, but pledged to be married. The announcement of John the Baptist took place during a solemn religious ceremony. The announcement of the birth of Jesus took place in the middle of everyday activity. And so we see this announcement. And we're going to look at this text the same way we looked at the text of the announcement of John the Baptist. Today we'll focus on Mary, the slave girl of the Lord. And then next week, Lord willing, we will look at what Mary is told about her son. We'll look at what the angel reveals about Jesus at this point in uh, the revelation of the truth of who Jesus is. And as we think about Mary, one of the things that we, uh, that we know is one of the great errors that the Protestants confronted during the Protestant Reformation was the Roman Catholic Church's exaltation of Mary. One of the things that was confronted by the Reformers was uh, the fact that uh, we don't uh, go to Mary and ask her to uh, ask Jesus for anything for us, we do not uh, exalt Mary, we do not venerate her. Salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. We go to the Father directly in the name of Jesus. We don't have to ask somebody to ask on our behalf because God loves us, accepts us in Christ Jesus, and there is only one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. And so one of the things rightly the Reformers did was they they reacted against the exaltation of Mary. And as we think of Mary, we should think of her according to her own words. Her own words in verse 28, when she says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Behold, the slave girl of the Lord. Recognizing that she exists not to do her will, but she exists to submit her will to the will of God and to follow him no matter what. And so let's think of Mary, according to her own words, the slave girl of the Lord. 
And as we think about that, we see a couple of things about her. First of all, we see that the slave girl of the Lord was chosen by God's grace. And so the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee, Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And so we see the announcement of grace. The angel appears to her and speaks to her and tells her to rejoice, to have great joy, to celebrate, to be happy, to rejoice because she has been the recipient of God's grace. God's sovereign grace. God sovereignly chose to choose Mary from among all the young women on all of the face of the earth, all the young women who had ever been born, all the young women that would ever be born, God had sovereignly chosen by His grace to use her in His plan to redeem sinful people to Himself in a way that He would not use another single person. A very unique way, and she was chosen by God's sovereign grace. And we see that from the words of the angel. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. Now, we don't have an English word that will directly translate this Greek word because it is from the word grace, but it is a noun meaning the recipient of grace. And so it, 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 it comes from the word grace. And really, if we were going to translate this word literally, the angel said, Rejoice, you who have received grace. You ha who have been the recipient of grace. And that's why you should rejoice, because God in His sovereign grace has, before the foundation of the earth, in His plan to redeem sinful people to Himself, He has set His heart on you. He has chosen you, not because of who you are, but because of His purpose of grace. He has chosen you, and there's nothing about you that would have caused you to be chosen by God, simply His sovereign grace. You are a highly favored one because you are a recipient of God's grace. The angel does not come and say, uh, the Lord has chosen you because you are the kindest, sweetest, nicest girl in Nazareth. He doesn't say, the Lord has chosen you because you're at the top of your class. And, well, I guess in fact, she couldn't be in a class because she was a Jewish girl, so she couldn't go to school. He didn't say he has chosen you because of your of your your heart and your sweet spirit, or because you are, uh, are religious or spiritual. No, you are the recipient of God's grace. Mary was a sinful person, a sinner in need of God's grace, a sinner in need of a Savior. And she recognizes that, and we'll see that later in the chapter as she speaks about her Savior. Nothing special about Mary. She's just an ordinary girl young girl in an ordinary village, an out-of-the-way village, insignificant, unimportant peasant girl that God sovereignly chose to set his favor upon. Not because of anything she was or anything that she did, but simply his purpose of grace. Be happy, rejoice, because God has set his favor on you. And then he also goes on to say that the Lord is with you. The Lord has with you, and blessed are you among women. Of all the women who had ever lived, God has chosen you by his sovereign grace to do one thing that would only ever be done once. One woman to bear the Son of God in her womb, to give birth to him, and to serve as his first disciple. You have been chosen to be the mother of your Lord. Blessed are you among women because of God's sovereign grace. And so the servant of the Lord, the slave girl of the Lord, was chosen by grace. Nothing she did to earn it, nothing she did to deserve it. She was a recipient of God's grace. She would 
have a unique part of God's plan to redeem his sinful people to himself, but not because of anything she was or anything that she did, but simply God's grace. And she recognizes, she seems to recognize this, and we'll see it again and, and later in the chapter when she sings uh, that she rejoices in God, her Savior. She knows her sinfulness. She knows her heart. She knows that she's unworthy. And her response to this message is fear and faith. She responds to this message with faith. Verse 29, interesting. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what matter of greeting this was. Now, a lot of times when we see people confront angels or a messenger from the Lord, the Lord himself, they are troubled, they are afraid at the sight of the messenger. Uh, Zacharias was going into the holy place in a somber a uh, reverent ceremony with all the pressure on him. Everything had to be done just right or else he might be like uh, Nabab, Nadab and Abihu and, and die before the Lord. He was, he was focused on his task and making sure everything was done just right. And then the angel appeared to him where he was not supposed to be, where nobody was supposed to be, and he was afraid. And the first words that the angel spoke to Zacharias was, don't be afraid. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord, saw his sinfulness. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and I've seen the Lord. I'm ruined. I'm going to come apart because I'm a sinner in the presence of the Lord. Peter, when he recognized, uh, when he saw Jesus' power and the miraculous catch of fish, he fell down before the Lord and said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And a lot of times, and then Joshua, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Joshua fell down terrified. But Mary, Luke tells us, Mary is not afraid at the appearance of the angel. She is afraid of the words that he has spoken. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. She was troubled because of what he said to her. Not how he appeared, not what he looked like, not that he was there. She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And so she knew herself to be a sinner. She knew her heart. She knew her unworthiness. And she knew that if an angel of the Lord was sent to her, that what she deserved to receive was a message of wrath, a message of judgment. She would expect, like Isaiah... I'm ruined. I can't stand before the messenger of the Lord because I'm a sinful person. And she wondered what matter of greeting this might be. She knew her sinfulness and yet the angel appeared to her and the angel was not giving her a message of judgment and a message of wrath, but a message of grace, undeserved favor. And Mary, a Jewish girl, had, had no doubt heard the Old Testament and the events that had taken place in the Old Testament as a young girl helping her mother, going about her chores, being trained by her mother to be a good wife for Joseph after their marriage. And, 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 and in a Jewish household, you can imagine, as they were going about that task and going about that training, Mary's mother was telling her about the Old Testament and about those Old Testament saints and about those Old Testament people Old Testament people upon whom God had set his favor. In those events in the Old Testament, just about any time that God set his favor on somebody, uh, the result was trouble. <laughs> the result was problem. God set his favor. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And what happened? A worldwide flood where every single person on the planet except eight people were killed, were destroyed by God's wrath, by God's judgment. Noah found grace, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and then the Lord wiped out the earth. Joseph found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And his brothers hated him, sold him into slavery, and he spent years in prison. Daniel 
found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord and ended up in a lion's den. Moses found favor in the eyes of the Lord and he ended up having to carry 1.2 million people, stubborn and rebellious, stiff-necked people through the wilderness for 40 years. And so now the angel appears to her and says, you have found favor with God. And she was troubled by that message. Everybody she'd ever heard that had found favor with God had trouble in this fallen sinful world. What does that mean? What does it mean that I have found favor in the eyes of the Lord? What does that mean for me? What trouble is about to come because of this announcement? And what am I being called to do that the Lord will have to be with me in order for me to accomplish this task. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. You are being selected by God's sovereign grace to do something that no other woman will ever do. And she was troubled at the saying, troubled at the greeting, wondering what does all of this mean? I am a sinner deserving of God's wrath, and yet the angel is here giving me a message of grace. What does that mean, and what will it mean for me in this little town of Nazareth? She was troubled, and the angel knew her heart and uh, responded with words of comfort. Do not be afraid. Same thing he had said to Zacharias, don't be afraid. The most common Negative command of scripture, don't be afraid, fear not. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You are a recipient of God's grace. God has chosen you. He has set his kindness upon you, his favor upon you, not because of anything that you are, anything that you've done, or anything that you will do, but because of his sovereign grace. He has set his favor on you. And then he explains the mission. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. The Son uh, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over his house, the house of Jacob, forever and ever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And we will unpack this next week as we look at what the angel reveals about Jesus, the person and work of Jesus. But here it's going to be clear, it's clear to Mary as a little Jewish girl that she is going to give birth to the Messiah. She is going to give birth to the Christ. That in the fullness of time, God had purposed to bring forth his son, born of a woman under the law, to save those who are under the law. She recognizes that she is being called to bring forth a son named Jesus, the Lord of salvation. The son of the highest. The one who will sit on the throne of David. She is going to conceive. She's going to have a baby. And that baby is the king of the Jews and the savior of the world. Kind of an intimidating message. And Mary, the slave girl of God, the slave girl of the Lord, responds with immediate and simple faith. She is troubled by the announcement when the clarification comes or the explanation comes. She responds with immediate, simple faith. Unlike Zacharias, who said, how can I know? What sign will you give me? What will you do to authenticate this message? Mary's question is different. How can this be? She does not say, how can I know? She says, how can this be? She assumes that it's going to happen. She knows that it's going to happen. The angel has said, the angel sent from the Lord to deliver this message to her. It is going to happen. Her question is just from clarification. How, how can it be? How is it going to happen? What do I need to do to make this happen? 
It's going to happen. What do I need to do? Do I need to, and she's a little Jewish girl, she has no authority, you know, so she's thinking, I can't, uh, I can't go to Joseph and say, you know what, we need to get married sooner. <laughs> we need to move up our wedding date. We need to move up the, the date of our betrothal. I, I, uh, do I need to, to, to try to move that date up closer, or do I need to betray my vows? Do I need to break that promise and go into a, another person? What, how is this going to be? I, I, I'm a virgin. I don't know a man. How am I going to conceive? She believes the word. She just asks for clarification. How is this going to happen? What do I need to do? What do I need to do to be a part of this plan, to make it happen? So she responds with faith. Unlike Zacharias, who responds with doubt and asks for proof, she responds, she just asks for clarification. Okay, okay, I believe what you say, then what do I need to do? The slave girl of the Lord responded with simple faith. And the angel tells her, you don't need to do anything. There's nothing for you to do. God is going to do it all. She says, how can this be? I don't, I don't know a man. And the angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is born uh, is to be born will be called the Son of God. You don't need to do anything, Mary. The same Spirit of the Lord that was hovering over the earth when the earth was dark and formless and void. The Spirit of the Lord, that creative Spirit, will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. You don't need to do anything, Mary. The Holy Spirit, the creative Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And this is a word that is used in the, in the, in the wilderness. It's used back in the, book of, uh, in the book of Exodus. When Moses had completed the construction and the erecting of the, the, the tabernacle, the, the, the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness... We are told that the power of the Most High overshadowed that tent of meeting. That it was filled with the glory of the Lord. And that Moses could not enter the tabernacle because the Lord had cast his shadow, overshadowed and filled the place with his glory. That's the same word that's used for what's going to happen to Mary. The glory of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is going to overshadow her. power of the Most High, the creator, the ruler, the overruler of all of creation will overshadow you. And the one to be born of you will be the Holy One. Different from every child ever born, the Holy One, the set-apart one, the one that's different from every other child ever and that he will have no human father. He will be the Holy One and have no human father, and he will be called the Son of God. Mary, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to change the date. You don't have to explain it to Joseph. I'll take care of that. <laughs> you don't have to violate your vows. Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. You will miraculously conceive and the one to be born will be the Holy One, the Son of God. And so Mary doesn't understand, but she believes. The slave girl of the Lord, chosen by God's grace, responds with simple, immediate faith. And she doesn't ask for a sign like Zacharias did, how shall I know, but kind of like Ahaz doesn't ask for a sign, but the Lord gave him one. Uh, the virgin's going to conceive, and she's going to have a son. His name will be Emmanuel, and not only that, I'm going to go into the prophetess, and there's going to be Marishala Hashbaz, and so we're going to, God's going to give you a sign anyway, even though you don't ask Mary 
is believing, she is accepting, she just wants clarification, but the Lord offers her a sign anyway, and he gives her that sign. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And so he tells her the sign, and by six months, Elizabeth, her pregnancy would be obvious, would be confirmed, and he gives her that sign. Elizabeth has conceived in her old age in her barrenness, but this is going to be far more greater. Elizabeth was married. You're not married. And the one that's going to be conceived in you will be called the Son of God. And yet this sign, this is a sign, an indication, one of the great passages of the Bible, a place where we can anchor our hope. Verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. God planned and purposed before the foundation of the earth to create for himself a people that would glorify him and delight in his presence forever, knowing that it would be necessary for him to redeem his sinful people to himself through sending God the Son, the Son of God in the world to be the Savior of the world, to live a sinless life and die on the cross and take the punishment that lawbreakers deserve, that those sinful people deserve. God will pour out his wrath on Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, and then raise him from the dead to show that his wrath's been turned away. And he will save his people by his grace through their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's God's plan from before the foundation of the earth. And nothing, nothing, nothing will be able to keep that plan from being carried out, from being fulfilled. From the very beginning, when God announced in the Garden of Eden to the serpent that one would come from the seed of woman and crush his head, Satan did everything he could to try to destroy the seed of woman, to try to stop that from happening, to try to prevent it. He did everything that he could to stop that plan. And then when God chose a nation, a people, through whom to bring that Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, into the world, the one that would crush Satan's head, Satan poured out all of his wrath and his force on that nation, that people, their neighbors were always invading them and always trying to destroy them, always trying to wipe them out. They were even taken into captivity. And the angel tells Mary, the Lord's slave girl, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing that Satan does can stop his plan. The laws of nature can't stop his plan because God is the creator of nature and therefore the overruler of nature, the sustainer of nature. He spends the law of nature in order to accomplish his plan and his purpose. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing will stop the fulfillment of his plan. Nothing will prevent his redemption of his sinful people to himself and he will not lose a single one of those that he has purposed before the foundation of the earth to save. Nothing is impossible. No sin, no depravity, no attack from the enemy. Nothing will be able to thwart God's plan because nothing is impossible with God. He is the all-powerful, sovereign ruler of the universe and he will accomplish his plan. Nothing is impossible. He will do whatever it takes and nothing can stop him. And Mary responds, the Lord's slave girl responds to that incredible message with simple faith. The Lord's slave girl was chosen by grace. The Lord's slave girl responded to an incredible message with immediate simple faith. And then third, the Lord's slave girl humbly submitted to the will of the Lord. Verse 38, then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, the slave girl of the Lord, submitting herself to his will. I'm your servant. I will do what you say. I will do what you will. I will submit myself to your plan for my life. Let it be to me according to your word. When you think about this little 13-year-old girl, this little peasant girl in a very small town, 
being told that she is going to conceive. And everybody in town knows she's not married. Everybody in town knows that she is betrothed, committed in a sacred, solemn vow to be married to Joseph. And Joseph is going to know he's not the father. Mary knows at the very least there will be shame, reproach, accusations. She will be accused of fornication and adultery for which the punishment is death. She knows that those who have found favor with God in this fallen world have usually experienced trouble. And from her limited perspective, shame, reproach, possibly death, at the very best, Joseph will divorce me, And I will be a single mother in first century Nazareth in poverty in no way to support myself or my son. Set aside to live my life in poverty, in shame, in reproach, falsely accused, Hated by everybody I know. That's her perspective. And yet she heard, the Lord is with you. You are blessed among women. Rejoice, because the Lord has set his grace upon you. She didn't know the half of it. Chapter 2, a man of God, a prophet, is going to take the baby in his hands and tell her a sword is going to pierce your soul too. And how does she respond to this message, to this call upon her life? (laughs) I had a plan. I was going to marry Joseph. Be a good wife, make his home, make his house, cook and clean and sew, have a house full of kids, raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, live to old age, and then be gathered to my fathers. God had a different plan. And Mary submits to his plan. Slave girl of the Lord, not my will. I'm going to do your will, no matter what it costs. Your plan is better than mine. And she submits herself to the plan of the Lord. And the angel, having accomplished his purpose, departed from her and left her alone in that small town. The Lord's slave girl. And as we think about that, we we certainly have to remember the message of grace. Mary's not special. Ordinary person, a simple person in need of a Savior. Chosen by God's sovereign grace. And God chooses to use simple people in the outworking of his plan. He chose to use an old priest, a man in Jerusalem, fulfilling his purpose, his religious duty. And he chose to use a poor peasant girl, young, unmarried, in the outworking of his plan. Simple people in need of a Savior, chosen by God's grace. And the message of Christ is a message of grace. Not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, not because of our character, not because of our spirit, not because of our religiosity, but because of God's favor. He chooses to set his favor. He chooses by his sovereign grace. And he calls. And he calls 
for simple faith. To believe an unbelievable message. A message that we think is impossible, that cannot happen, that overrules the, the laws of nature. And he calls us to believe that all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with God. He will carry out his plan and his purpose. He will redeem his sinful people to himself and nothing, nothing can stop him. Not all the powers of hell, not all the sinful people on the earth, not even our unworthiness. Nothing is impossible with God. And he calls us for, to, to simply believe. We might not understand how, but we trust in the power of God, the power of the Most High, to accomplish his plan and his purpose. And he asks us for humble submission. Yes, we had plans for our life. We had goals and objectives and ambitions. But he asks us to submit and to recognize that his plan is better than our plan. And his plan, even though it might cause suffering on this world, is a reason for us to rejoice because we are blessed by his call, his effectual call to faith in Christ Jesus. Will the Lord hear from us? Behold, your slave. May it be to me according to your will. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word and Lord, thankful for this amazing event. And the grace and the love and the compassion that it shows. And your plan and your purpose and your power. Purposing in your heart, even before you created, to redeem simple people to yourself through their faith in your son Jesus. Lord, we give you praise for your amazing grace. And Lord, we pray that you would grant us simple faith and humble submission to your will, to your plan. Behold, your slaves. May it be to us according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to encourage you to take out your hymnal and turn with me. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.